Hello, and welcome to What Goes Bump in the Night. Prime Edition. Hello, and welcome to What Goes Bump in the Night. This is Trevor Jensen, but not with me tonight is my co-host, as of normal, Renee Riley, Riley Clark. And instead, something new, and someone new to speak to you. I'm the fucking cat in the hat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alright, introduce yourself already. I am Jenna Jensen. Spoilers! <laughs> we have decided to go in another direction. Nah, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that breathing, guys. That's my bad. So we decided that we are actually going to start releasing more content for y'all's listening pleasures. For your earballs. I still don't know what earballs are, but I'm here for it. So if somebody wants to, like, show me your earballs and, like, your balls are on your ears. ears i want to see that but i know that's not a real thing so like if you are you probably have like some type of like morphing disease thing i don't know with this is such a tangent god damn it we are talking true motherfucking crime bing bong fuck your life oh my god no we are not not going back to 22 i'm not going back to that time that's when it came out right I think so. Sure. I don't follow pop culture. You fucking tween. You're a pop culture. <laughs> You're a tween. <laughs> so, we decided, me and Jenna and Riley all sat down. I mean, kind of me and Jenna sat down. Riley was just through the text. But <laughs> 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 we decided that true crime is a very fun topic that we all like to talk about. And why not just sprinkle some in here and there? Probably like weekly thing if you're willing to i see you shaking your head over there i know this is not a video medium but i mean i will do my best to narrate oh you're asking me yes i was asking you if, the, if you want to try to yes. do this at least once a week yes because i think more. i think the book that we bought speaks volumes speaks so many volumes okay so tell them about the book and how we got basically inspired to do this podcast talk true crime and how I impulsively bought the equipment to do it because now we have two setups to be able to do it outside of just Riley's house. Yeah. So... I thought you were going to be so fucking mad at me when I bought it too. I was not happy with how much money you spent, but... That's why you don't give me a credit card. Looking at this setup though is absolutely phenomenal and it looks so good. Are we cracking a cold one? No, it's a sun kiss. So we're cracking a cold one. My throat will be raw by the end of this, boys and girls. Ew. Wait, wait, ready? It's gonna be so dark by the end of this. Alright, now back to normal. <laughs> what? You didn't know I could get my voice that low? <laughs> okay, anyways. So we go on our little family dates every Sunday and we stopped at this like mom and pop shop in Grand Haven and I bought this book called Great Lakes Serial Killers True Accounts of the Great Lakes Most Gruesome Murders by Wayne Lewis Kadar. 
I think that's how you say it. I, I honestly, yeah, I think. don't know. So shout out to this man because he. I just read like the first, like there. The way he opens the book is like this is not for children. It yeah. depicts very gruesome scenes. Very gruesome. Um, up top, boys and girls, if you made it this far, there's going to be trigger warnings right now. I'm going to put a trigger warning in description for every episode, most likely. But this does also depict. I don't. I think it depicts. But it talks about rape, um, murders, blood, carnage, all that. Pretty uh, much how he destroyed all these women. Get on board the train of I am going to 100% probably be the most vulgar asshole towards these monsters because that's what they are. Yeah. Me and Riley talk about the true creepy crawlies of the fucking darkest Sorry. depths. Yeah, you fucking better be. The darkest depths of all that is paranormal and cryptic and fucking awesome but then we these barely, people are we barely absolutely horrible oh they're fucking off these are horrible people like absolutely garbage yeah. trash like they belong in like a sewer dump more than that they 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 should fucking live in uh what do you call it um not a trash pail a ma fucking sewer line that's been underneath great britain since the colonial 1920s. times <laughs> colonial times even farther back than that 1800s We're talking 1800s with horse poo where they just throw their poo. shit and piss out the, the window the plague is very rampant through plague. those tunnels plague. Plague. and he just has to drink that shit water fuck yeah for nourishment and sustenance i'm here for it honestly all right so tonight's topic tonight's <laughs> victim on our hit list of fucked up people to talk about is richard goddamn speck richard speck also the speck on the nutsack of earth also in this book um in the story it's called only one survived the night of horror only one survived the night of horror yes sir so before we even start spewing out facts or like things about him or I start reading the Wikipedia because I love me some Wikipedia and you got yourself a book. I do got myself a you book. You got yourself a bookie book. So I know that he was like notoriously very famous for being a prolific serial killer and getting quite a few bodies underneath his belt also. Yes. So there was like four women that he got um, he well, molesturbated? No, yeah, like he killed them in no, Ben yeah, Harbor, Michigan. Um, but he was never like, con like, uh, what's the word? Um, I convicted. thought he was in Chicago. No, so some he, of them were. Yes, so he was never convicted of the killings in Benton Harbor, Michigan, or two. I think it was uh, two barmaids. Let me find it real quick. Uh, of two. Monmouth, Illinois women, a barmaid who had refused his advances, and a 65-year-old woman who was assaulted, raped, and murdered. So well, that's what you got to do to the barmaids they, that don't accept your advances. Shut up. <laughs> There's no brakes on the rape train. God damn it. It came back in the so, first episode um, of this. He was also, like, questioned... Um, he was also wanted for questioning in Indiana uh, mm -hmm. during the same time that three girls disappeared. So he literally only got caught for killing these eight women. 
like what so we're about they think to talk he killed about more they think he killed more but they can't like put him on the spot they but they tie think... him to the murders completely. correct so but he did get caught for killing these eight nursing students in one house so he's notorious for stabbing strangling slashing people's throats and he is notorious for being what I would classify as a spree killer, which is going off and killing multiple people in one go. Oh, and, most definitely. And then it seems like he had a cooling down period where he went back to it after the fact and was... I wonder, because I, I don't know enough about this or the psychology of what it is, but like, why? What, what drew him back to it? What made him do it in the first place? And I guess like... Is this childhood related? So I guess like the the biggest debate is is it nature versus nurture or is it 100% you're born into it? So they also said that this also could be um he could have been like a sex addict and uh this like a also weird could fetish? be caught yeah. Sorry, I smacked my mic and I mean <laughs> I like to touch it. I don't know why I do it at Riley's all the time. So it could be caused like by that stuff okay so that's that's like have what they said but i don't know god damn it i'm just trying to like get away from the but there's the like <laughs> after you like give the little history of richard i'm gonna read some of the book of what they have explained of what he did to these so women. i'm just gonna be nice short and sweet about it um he was convicted of eight murders one victim survived the murder by hiding underneath the bed uh, her name was Corzon Amarau. I probably butchered the shit out of that, but I tried. Um, he was convicted of all of those, like I said. Um, this was back in April 15th of 1967 when the conviction came down. He was sentenced to death. But his sentence was reduced to 400 years to 1,200 years in state federal penitentiary. Um, it was later reduced to 100 to 300 years, which uh, he's n no way in fucking hell is he ever going to outlive his sentence. There was no way he was even going to make it out alive. So sooner or later, someone was going to kill him in prison. Possibly. I could see it. Um, I don't know what his personality is like. I guess we'll get to that at some point. And then maybe he was a charismatic person and he was safe, but he, he was <laughs> fucked up. And his headshot is not, he's not a, he's not a good looking guy. Uh, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> no, he kind of looks like motherfucking. He looks Slender derpy. Man. He just looks derpy. Like, hey, how's it going, guys? <laughs> um, he actually died of a heart attack while he was incarcerated at Stateville Correctional Center on the eve of his fiftieth birthday. Fuck you! You didn't even get to get a birthday in, bitch. Fucking rot. Yeah, it's bad. I, I don't like this man. <laughs> don't know him. No affiliations. I was reading this at work. You're um, fucking bold for doing that at work. You're supposed to be making money and working. <laughs> well, I had no people at the bar, so. That's true. You do work. So that kind I of work. was reading it, and as soon as I was reading. I do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, I do that to Riley, too, and then I feel terrible. As soon as I was reading it and finding out what this man did to these women. Oh, man. I got a little nauseous myself because holy. A book made you queasy? Yeah, because holy oh, shit. shit. Like, this man cool. is absolutely insane. 
Hot dumpster fire. Literally. Like, it's hot garbage. So, I have his childhood pulled up if you want me to talk about that. Do you want me to... I mean, you can just... What I would say is, like, with having the book right there offhand without having a highlighter handy and having a bunch of shit. I already know what I was going to read. Perfect. I'm not... I mean, I knew you probably did. I just didn't... I don't see any highlights or anything. No, because I'm going to read about these women oh i just didn't know if you're like they literally the book or not no they literally oh. have like two pages of like first-hand accounts first-hand accounts of like the, the lady that got away yeah of what she has said and what she saw and what she heard and everything Shit. okay i will talk about his childhood and then how about we save that for once we get to her murder sound good she didn't die she survived yeah her attempted murder it just because i said murder don't mean she died okay God, I'll be a little Aunt Jemima. fuck. <laughs> Don't even with me tonight. Okay. I had a little smoky smoke. I had a, a like... Some dubby. Some dubby. I'm pre- <laughs> Speaking of dubby, this is, I think this is a perfect point to like take a small break and just talk about how wonderful the supplement for non-jitter energy Oh, it's absolutely amazing. I have ADHD and that stuff calmed me down. W is amazing. It is almost like instantaneous. It has um, coffee extracts and fruit extracts to help like with the flavor. And I don't know exactly what the ingredient is that is good for the, the mental, like your neuro. I don't even know like the science behind it other than like I... I, like I watched a video and I, I did a bunch of research on it and like a lot of the stuff that's in it is actually really good for you but it has amazing flavor it's it's better than pop for you know the caffeine and it has a small amount of caffeine extract and you get cute little cups and they give you shaker bottles yeah they're you so get. cute mine's teal well would you say that's teal or is like a baby blue it's like a baby blue a baby blue and but it's so it's small flavorful it's awesome i i appreciate the hell out of that company if you want to go ahead and get yourself some w go on over to their website and then use our code what goes bump in the checkout to get a discount and it will help us in the end so i love you guys thank you w's on unreal so try it out um if you have any questions message me message riley he swears by the stuff too we're actually going to be doing like a live review of the dub sludge flavor which i kind of cracked into it already (gasps) i'm not gonna tell anybody how it tastes because it's Will you tell it's, me after? Yeah, it's for the review. <laughs> it's awesome. Do you want to try some right now? I do. All right, don't you can't tell anybody. This is Riley. So, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Riley. This is live on air. I'm not cutting this either. This is staying. Oh. It's good. It's my favorite oh. one so far. Oh my god. That's all gosh. I got to say. It's my favorite one so far. It's it's super um, good. That just brought me back to my childhood. It you know exactly what it tastes like yes too. i do that just brought me back i'm not gonna say it until afterwards either i'm sorry you guys you're gonna have to wait until friday which is tomorrow so you guys don't wait very long i probably yeah. actually i'm i'm fucking stupid i probably won't have this edited and done until after that episode comes out you it tastes like head. a granny apple sucker it really doesn't does. it? it's fucking amazing and it, it, it's it's just good it's so it, good. it works too i didn't think it was gonna work to be honest but it does so back to the podcast Richard Benjamin Speck was born in Kirkwood, Illinois in 1941 and was the seventh and eighth child of Benjamin Franklin Speck and Mary Margaret Carbaugh. 
The family moved to Monmouth. Yeah, I have no idea how to pronounce that. Let's just call it Mammoth. Mam- yeah, Mammoth, it like Illinois. Mammoth. It's not Mammoth. <laughs> it's Monmouth. It's really weird. Shortly after Speck's birth, he and his sister, excuse me, Caroline, were pretty much younger than their four older sisters and two older brothers. His mother was religious and a teetoler? I honestly don't know what that is. His father worked as a packer at Western Stoneware in the Monmouth. Ha- I'm sorry, I fucking can't. This is I, Monmouth is so bad. It just does not roll off the tongue. I made it as an Illinois, so who the fuck sense. made that the city name? Like that does not roll. Who off just the made tongue. the state Ohio and Illinois? Let's just can we just have a talk with them for a second? You're terrible. How trashy those states are. <laughs> hey now, we have listeners that. I'm there. just kidding. Love you fuck guys. <laughs> having previously worked as a farmer and a logger. In 1947, when Speck was six years old, his father died from a heart attack at the age of 53. Huh, what a coincidence. Coinky dink, I think not. He was reportedly very close to his father. Apple doesn't far very far from a sheet. Excuse me? <laughs> the apple doesn't fall very far from a sheet. Okay. I said it like a farmer, okay? Leave me alone. That's... Now I'm being mean to farmers. Yeah, stop God. it. It's one of those days. It's all about the he said, she said bullshit. Guys, I live with this man, and please I send help. I think about the queen. <laughs> so go get it. Okay, that wasn't even how it went, but... On May 10th, 1953, years after the death of his father, his mother married Carol August Rudolph Lindbergh in Palo Pinto, Texas. She and Lindbergh had met during a train ride to Chicago. Lindbergh was a traveling insurance salesman from Texas with a 25-year criminal record that ranged from forgery to several DUIs. Lindbergh was also a hard drinker. What a catch. What a catch. Which was the opposite of Speck's father. Speck and his sister Caroline stayed with their married sister Sarah Thorin in Monmouth for a few months so Speck could finish second grade before joining their mother in Lindbergh in a rural Santo, Texas, 40 miles west of Fort Worth, Texas, where Speck attended the third grade. In 1952, Speck's eldest brother, Robert, died in an automobile accident at the age of 23. So you can already kind of see that he's had kind of a wild upbringing a little bit. I mean, he's granted he's not old enough to like really like understand what's going on but like the most important people to him have like died not only that like i i would say children of that age need i don't want to say like they need it but like i think you benefit from stability most definitely like a consistent stability yeah yeah and i'm not saying like moving while you have a small child is not okay because it's totally fine but it just seems like in Richard's life. That's that all they he were, did was just move. Yeah, that they were really, really on the go, like considering how his mother moved away and, you know, he's living with his sister and then he's living with his mother again and his mother's now, you know, like many states away. Yeah. And he's, he's being uprooted from everything that he's been around for his entire young life now so it's interesting i i guess there's more to it than just that there's there's definitely like a study that's been done i'm sure where they really look into if it's detrimental to you is probably the best way to put it to not 
have a you know like live in the same house for more than a year or two yeah so back to Richard back though do you want me to um just kind of like skip ahead because it doesn't seem like a whole lot no you want all of it no just let me start reading oh well wait what are you reading the accounts of that lady yeah no we're not there yet <laughs> you can't jump ahead well hurry up okay. women am i right no you gotta do this right there's a fucking way to do this i just said women am i right women ha -ha. i'm not a woman yeah you're funny <laughs> murder of eight student nurses there, i'm just gonna jump right ahead <laughs> about freaking time Let's just say that there was a lot of, like, malarkey that went around, like, Speck's whole life. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to make you wait. In 1951, after a year in Santo, Speck moved with his mother Lindbergh, or mother to Lindbergh and his sister Caroline to East Dallas. The father moved frequently, living at 10 different addresses, usually in poor neighborhoods over the next 12 years. Speck loathed his stepfather, who was often drunk, verbally abusive, and was frequently absent. It plays a part. 100% does. Speck struggled in school, refusing to wear glasses that he needed for reading. Uh, me as fuck. <laughs> you as fuck for real. Yeah, uh, I did that in school. Did you like, repeat the eighth grade? No, I've never repeated. Well, I take that back. I repeated Ooh. kindergarten. <laughs> How do you fail in kindergarten? Uh, my mom made me take two years of kindergarten and... Um, yeah, and everyone always asks me how I have such good handwriting is because I used to get no, dude, bullied no, in kindergarten. Your mom walked into there, walked up to the kindergarten teacher and said, my kid don't finger paint good. Shut painting better. <laughs> Not even. Honestly, I don't even know why I took two years of kindergarten, but I guess that's normal. Free babysitting. You're lucky you're on air right now. Ah. <laughs> Hey, I'm not saying anything about your mom. I'm just saying, like, my parents said that shit. They were like, yo, when, when do we work? Oh, in the morning. So in the afternoons, if they're gone, I can fucking relax for a second. Yeah, send them away in the afternoons. But, yes, I refused to wear glasses in, like, middle school. Why? But that's also because I had braces, so I was called metal oh, mouth and four eyes. Braces. I did. I did have braces. Oh, that's a konnichiwa. Why are you the way you are? Because I can be. <laughs> Wear your glasses, kids. Wear I, your glasses. Yeah, it, My eyesight got so bad. If you got to wear a patch, like an eye patch, just do it. You don't want to be blind, dude. I did. I didn't do it, though. I thought I was a pirate, and I was like, pirates are gay. And then I realized Johnny Depp is awesome, and Pirates of the Caribbean is sweet. Yeah, so take our advice and just wear the freaking glasses. If my three-year-old can wear her glasses... She does a great job, too. You can wear your glasses. <laughs> Fuck around and find out. So... He failed every subject at Crozier Technical High School. Oh, Dumbass. Damn. Speck did not return for the second semester, dropping out of school in January 1958 after his 16th birthday. So, minimal education. Very. Things are not looking very good for Mr. Speck. Nope, it's just been all downhill. Having started drinking alcohol at age 12. Oh. By 15, he was getting drunk almost every day. Oh. His first arrest in 1955. Let me guess. Age. Let me guess. Was oh. it DUI? No. How old was he when he first got arrested, do you think? Mm, I want to say like 14. It's 13. 
Oh, and it was closed. for trespassing. Oh. He was trespassing on some property. Um, he was. It was followed by dozens of arrests and misdemeanors over the next eight years. Oh my God, this man is absolutely needs help. <laughs> you. You can see the path and the trajectory that he was set on from a very early onset. Yes. And I'm not saying that everybody that has a hard upbringing ends up like this, but I do really think that some people like him are probably a product of the environment. A lot of people are malleable. Well, that's all he knew, though. Was exactly. Be- like, that's all he knew, like, was drinking, moving around not doing anything with your life an abusive stepfather abusive an absent like i would say probably on both ends of the spectrum like absent father figure absolutely absolutely like his mom wasn't really in the picture either right is that what you Uh, said no i i think it doesn't really say that his mom wasn't in the picture it just says that the father and the stepfather were like it doesn't say much about the father being a bad guy but it, he says it moved, he moved around like 11 times. That's crazy. Which is a lot. That's and then a lot. the stepfather is just a complete piece of shit. Like, and I thought me yeah. going to different schools was a lot. No, that's a lot. Yeah. So he was catching cases and charges left and right from the age 13, basically. From 1960 to 1963, Speck worked as a laborer for the 7-Up Bottling Company in Dallas. In October 1961, Speck met 15-year-old Shirley Annette Malone. That's a pretty name. Shirley? Yeah. Shirley Annette. Annette. I'm trying to say it like really fancy. Annette. Je m'appelle. Shirley Annette. Can you just continue? Yeah, I can. I'm just having fun because it sounds really good to me. <laughs> like this new setup, I love it. It's clean. Um, At the Texas State Fair. She became pregnant after three weeks of dating. <gasps> That's kind of like us. After six months of dating, we got pregnant and had Violet. No comment. <laughs> the couple married on January 19, 1962, and initially moved in with his. And he initially moved in with his sister, Carolyn, and her husband. Speck's mother lived there as well, having separated from Lindbergh, who was now living in California. Speck stopped using the name Richard Benjamin Lindbergh when he got married and went back to using Richard Benjamin Speck. His daughter, Robbie Lynn Speck, was born July 5th, 1962. While Speck was serving a 22-day jail sentence for disturbing the peace after a drunken melee in McKinney, Texas. Okay. In 1963, at the age of 21, Speck was sentenced to... Served three years in prison after being convicted for forgery and burglary. Speck had for oh forged and cashed coworkers' paychecks, a forty-four dollar paycheck at that, and he robbed a gas station for three dollars in cash. And but back cigarettes. then, that was probably like a lot of money. Three dollars in cash and cigarettes. Yeah. In nineteen sixty-one. Yeah. You're lit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Holy hell, I thought you were being serious for a minute. I was going to be like, woman. No. They are not as old as you think they are. No. My dad might hit you. Your mom might hit you. Your dad would definitely RKO me. Yeah. Super hard. Speck attacked a woman in the parking lot of her apartment building, wielding a 17-inch carving knife, but fled when the woman screamed. The police arrived within minutes, apprehended Speck a few blocks away. 
I lost my place. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Re rejigger myself. The, the police arrived, and he was convicted for aggravated assault, giving a 16-month sentence to run concurrently completion of his parole in violation of a sentence on July sentence. <laughs> <laughs> this is hard. Words are hard. Reading's hard. After his release, Specht worked for three months as a driver for the Patterson Meat Company, although he had six accidents in the company's truck. Oh my god. He was fired for failing to show up for work. I hope not he the fucking accidents. Just just getting fired for failing to show up to work, but not the six accidents. Not the six accidents. But <laughs> In December 1965, upon the recommendation of his mother, Speck moved in with 29-year-old divorced woman and ex-professional wrestler. Oh my God! And Here you go, Riley. A Here's bartender. Your girl. Oh. At his favorite bar, Ginny's Lounge, Ooh. to babysit his three children. <laughs> in July 1966, Malone, who had been separated from Speck, filed for divorce. That same month, Speck stabbed a man in a knife fight at Jenny's Lounge. Oh my god. He was charged with aggravated assault. This but man loves his knives. I know, but a defense attorney his mother hired got the charge reduced by distur- or too disturbing the peace. Sorry, I was looking away for a second. So he, once again, is getting You're just getting off the hook. Lucky. He was only fined $10 and jailed for three days. He oh. failed to pay the fine. Oh, Oh. <laughs> but this was the last time that he spent custody in police jails. Okay. On March 5th, 1966, Speck bought a 12-year-old car, then robbed a grocery store following evening, stealing 70 cartons of cigarettes, which he then sold out of the trunk of his car in the grocery store's parking lot. I'm not joking. I'm not making this up. I know. You're not. <laughs> Fucking stupid the police traced the car which speck had abandoned they issued a warrant for his arrest for burglary on march 8th uh he was apprehended under the warrant and it would have been his 42nd arrest in dallas if he would have been oh my gosh and it would have been another prison term for sure there's no way there's no way 42 fucking arrests but in 1966, Speck's sister Carolyn drove him to the Dallas bus depot where he took a bus to Chicago, Illinois. Dun dun dun. We're getting we're getting close. Started. We're getting close. Speck stayed with his sister Martha Thornton and her family in Chicago for a few days and then returned to his boyhood hometown of Monmouth, Illinois, where he initially stayed with some old family friends. Speck's brother Howard was a carpenter in Monmouth and found a job for him sanding plasterboard for another Monmouth carpenter. Speck became angry when he learned his ex-wife had remarried two days after she was granted a divorce on March 16, 1966. He moved to the Christie Hotel in downtown Monmouth on March 25th and spent most of his time in the downtown taverns. At the end of March, while Speck and some acquaintances were on a bar hopping trip to Gullport, Illinois, they were detained overnight by police. Thereafter, Speck reportedly threatened a man in a tavern restroom with his knife. Once again, knife. That's not a knife. That's a knife. Glad you got the reference. On April 3rd, Miss 
Virgil Harris, a 65-year-old resident of Monmouth, returned home at 1 a.m. to find a burglar in her house, brandishing a knife. He was a six-foot-tall white man who was very polite and spoke very softly with a southern drawl. The man blindfolded her, tied her up, raped her, ransacked her house, and stole the two fifty she had earned babysitting that evening. That's depressing. Terrifying. That just made me really sad. Isn't that terrible? A week later, Mary Catherine Pierce, a 32-year-old barmaid who worked at her brother-in-law's tavern, Frank's Place in downtown Monmouth, he was last, or she was last seen leaving the tavern at 12.20 a.m. on April 9th. She was reported missing on April 13th, and her body was found that day in an empty hog house behind the tavern. She had died from a blow to her abdomen, rupturing her liver. That's pretty impressive if he punches her and kills her by punching Almost her in the stomach. Definitely. I'm not going to lie. That's fucking crazy. That's also fucking brutal. Like, fuck you, you piece of shit. Speck had frequented Frank's place and the empty hog house was one of several he had helped build in the preceding month. So he was familiar with it. So Monmouth police briefly questioned him about Pierce's death when he showed up to collect his final carpentry paycheck on April 15th and asked him to stay in town for further questioning when uh, when police showed up at Christie Hotel on April 19th to continue questioning Speck, they discovered he had left the hotel a few hours earlier carrying his suitcase and saying he was just going to the laundromat. He had instead left town. A search of his room turned up a radio and costume jewelry Miss Virgil Harris had reported missing from her house as well as items reported missing from two other local burglaries in the previous month. So you can see the path of his ex ex escalation. That was really hard to say. Oh yes. Oh yes. Is yes. that how you really feel? Yeah, it's this man's just absolutely insane. <laughs> this man is just crazy, honestly. Like this man's weapon of choice is either his hands or knives. Nice. Nice. That's not nice. No. On April nineteenth, nineteen sixty six, Specs returned to stay at his sister Martha's second floor apartment at 3966 North Avondale Avenue, the old Irving Park neighborhood of the northwest side of Chicago, where she lived with her husband, Gene Thornton, and their two teenage daughters, Martha, had worked as a registered nurse in the pediatrics before she was married. And her husband, Gene, worked nights as a railroad switchman. Speck told them an unbelievable story about how having to leave Monmouth after refusing to sell narcotics for a crime syndicate there. Gene Thornton, who had served in the U.S. Navy, thought that the U.S. Merchant Marine might provide a suitable occupation for his unemployed brother-in-law. So, on April 25th, he took Speck to the U.S. Coast Guard office to apply for a letter of authority to work as an apprentice seaman. The application required being fingerprinted and photographed and having a physical examination by a doctor. Speck found out immediately after obtaining the letter of authority joining the 33-member crew of Inland Steel's Clarence B. Randall and L6SB1 class bulk or lake freighter. Uh, yada, 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 yada. Oh, here we go. 
Oh, this is where he gets in, like, kind of around the Michigan area, okay? So, since he was stricken with uh, appendicitis on May 3rd, he was evacuated by the U.S. Coast Guard helicopter to the St. Joseph Hospital in Hancock, Michigan, on the Kennewa Peninsula of Michigan's Upper Peninsula, where he had to be, like, cut open and have an emergency appendectomy. After he was discharged from the hospital, Speck returned to stay with his sister. Can we just take a moment and appreciate you pronouncing that word? Because there was no way in hell. Which way? The, the appendicitis surgery. Oh, appendicitis? No. this, this uh, uh, pack, uh, append, Appendectomy? I, yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I said it first. The first time was the easiest time. The second time was way harder. Um, after he's discharged, he went back to rejoin the crew. Um... I'm just like trying to proofread a little of this because it's starting to drone on and I just want to hit like the deep, deep ones because they're like, whoa, you know, whoa. Yeah, so there's not a whole lot left. Um, on Wednesday, July 13th, Speck picked up his bags, uh, checked in at an NMU hiring hall. He was angry being sent to a non-existent assignment and he talked for like 30 minutes in the car with his sister. Um, sorry, I'm still proofreading this. <laughs> oh, Speck spent the rest of the day drinking in nearby taverns being before being escorted by Ellie Mae Hooper at Knife Point. She was a 50-year-old woman who had spent the day drinking at the same tavern that Speck had patronized. Speck told her or took her to his room in the shipyard and raped her, stole her black $16 mail order, 22 caliber Raham pistol. He then left dressed entirely in black, armed with a switchblade. See, there he goes. Gun, the guns, knives. He did just steal a gun, though. Oh, yeah, that's true. He literally just. He just stole a gun from some terrible terrible person all right now we're getting to the murders at 11 p.m on july 13th 1966 speck broke into the 2319 east 100th street townhouse in chicago's jeffrey manor neighborhood the townhouse is you want to read something right now yeah it goes along with what you're about to say cut in you take take your time the white male in his mid-twenties, about six feet tall, with a crew-cut hair, wearing about 170 pounds, flashing a butcher's knife in one hand and holding a small handgun in the other, pushed his way to the bedroom. The man forced Miss Amaro to another bedroom, the middle bedroom on the second floor where he awoke the three women sleeping in that room. The intruder made the four women go to the larger bedroom at the back of the second floor and woke up the two student nurses in that room. The man told the girls that he wouldn't harm them. All he wanted was money to get to New Orleans. He used his knife to rip strips from sheets and bound the women's hands and legs. Then he demanded to know where their purses were. Another student nurse who lived in the townhouse came in before the 12.30 a.m. curfew. She was quickly moved into the back bedroom and made to lie on the floor with the others. A short time later, two other women, Susan Ferris and Marianne Jordan, came home. The man in the house surprised them in the upstairs hallway. They turned and ran, but the man sprinted after them. Angered by the women running from him, he chased them, catching Miss Ferris near the second floor bathroom. 
The man, his knife in hand, raised it and slammed it down, sinking the blade into Miss Ferris's chest. In a fit of rage, he stabbed her eight more times in the chest and chin. Marianne was caught in the front bedroom where she tried to hide. The knife, still dripping with Susan's blood, was thrust into Marianne multiple times. The killer stabbed her in the chest and neck and also viciously stabbed her in the left eye. The murderer calmly washed his hands of blood of the two women, then walked to the bedroom where the other women were tied up. He selected Pamela Wilking, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, as his next victim. He took her to the front bedroom where Marianne Jordan lay dead on the floor. The killer, without saying a word, buried the knife deep in her chest. Her wrists were still bound as the killer wrapped his fingers around her throat and choked the life out of the bleeding woman. Nina Schimmel was next. The murderer lifted the terrified girl to her feet and dragged her from the back bedroom. Nina shuffled along with her, her feet still tied together. She was taken to the left front bedroom, gagged and stabbed four times in the neck. Sorry, I just dropped my phone. <laughs> The ex executioner, not contact with the damage he inflicted on the poor girl, strangled her bleeding throat. While the murderer was out of the room, killing Nina Shamal, Corazon Amora slid under a bed and hugged the wall as tightly as possible. She remained there without making a sound as the rest of her friends were savagely killed. The man returned to the bedroom and dragged Valentina Pajan to her death while her hands were still bound she was strangled and stabbed in the stabbed the student nurse several times she was left on the floor of the front bedroom he next took another of the philippine exchange students merlita gargallo the killer's rage seemed to become more intense he dragged his knife along the neck of miss gargallo leaving an open gash her limp body fell to the floor and bled to death patricia Mat Matuski was pulled from the back bedroom. She was found in the front bedroom brutally beaten. An autopsy showed that she was punched so hard that her liver had ruptured. Her cause of death was strangulation. This dude is fucking crazy. He's insane. The murderer went back to the back bedroom for another victim. He jerked a terrified Gloria Davy to her feet. The girl, her hands bound behind her back with strips of bed sheets was laid down the stairs. Buttons bounced down the stairs as the murderer ripped Gloria's blouse from, blouse from her body. Miss Davy was led to the living room and forced to lay on a couch on her stomach. The killer jerked down her, the killer jerked her pants and panties down and sodomized her. Then, or perhaps while he brutally raped her, he choked the breath out of her. Jesus fucking Christ. Content that the that he had killed all the young women in the house and no one could identify him. The killer turned his attention to rummaging through their purses and stealing anything of value. Corazon Amora, hiding under the bed in the back bedroom, held her I'm sorry, held her breath while the murderer went through the girls' belongings. She had not been missed or detected. The man had left the back room where she was hiding, but she could not be sure if the man had left the house. But she noticed one key thing. His face. No, not only that, his tattoo that says born to raise hell. Um, can you let me finish? I know. Corazon, so terrified and afraid to move, remained hidden for several hours before she ran through the carnage to the front bedroom. From Corazon Amora's description, the police artist made a sketch of the murderer. 
A clerk from the Maritime Union Hall notified the police that the drawing published in the newspapers resembled a man who had frequented the hall looking for work on the Great Lakes iron ore ships. His name was Richard Speck. The police forensic team had found 32 bloody fingerprints in the nurse's house. You know, just the 32 of them. Yeah, that's that's fine. The fingerprints were easily identified as belonging to an ex-con named Richard Speck. Richard Speck had a lengthy record with the authorities. He had yeah, served jail time for theft, check forgery, and aggravated assault. He was again arrested for assault and burglary in Texas. Not only that, he's a fucking moron. <laughs> but he left the state before he was sentenced. As the investigators devolved into the background of their main suspect, they found that Speck was suspected in murder assault of other women. It gets better. It gets better? Yes. It does? Yep. Um, okay, so five days after the deaths of the nurses, Richard Specht was captured. Whether he was consumed by guilt or just too egotistical to allow the police to catch him, Specht slashed his wrist in a suicide attempt. He slashed his wrist? Yes, just wait. In a change of heart, after he had cut himself, he began to scream for help and an ambulance responded to his assistance. The emergency medical personnel provided immediate care for his wounds, then rushed him to the hospital. While treating the suicide patient, a doctor noticed that this man resembled the police sketch. Oh, oh what do you know? What do you know? Oh, the man wanted in connection with the mass killings. The doctor raised the man's shirt, shirt sleeve and found the born to, raise ta- born to raise hell tattoo on his arm. Born to be wild. <laughs> the newspapers had written about the student nurse, Corazon Amaro, who had survived the savage attack. She described the killer as about six feet tall, about 170, 170 pounds, crew-cut hair, and a tattoo on his forearm, which read, Born to Raise Hell. Loser. The doctor notified the police Richard Speck was arrested for the death of eight Chicago student nurses. The trial of Richard Speck for the victim, I'm sorry, for the vicious murder of eight young women began on April 3rd, 1967. Expert witnesses testified of the 32 bloody fingerprints belonging to Speck found at the murder scene. Speck's confession was read to the jury. The police vividly described the horror of the crime scene. But the most damning and most dramatic was when Cor... He spelled her name wrong in here. Corazon Amaro, the only survivor of the women in the townhouse at 2319 East 100th Street, pointing a finger directly at Speck and identified him as the man who, without remorse and in cold blood, had sadistically killed the eight students. Crazy. The jury only took 49 minutes to decide the case and find Richard Speck guilty of eight counts of murder. They also recommended that Richard Speck be sentenced to die in the electric 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 chair. (laughs) Due to a technicality, though, in the legal system, Speck's death sentence was commuted to life in prison in which he lived his rainer life in Statesville Prison in Crest Hill, Illinois. So instead of living in motherfucking Texas, he lives in motherfucking Illinois the whole time. Yeah, but that bitch is dead, though. Well, yeah, he's dead now. But they also said, like, he was wanted for questioning the death of two Monmouth, Illinois women, like you said. Well, yeah. And then he was also wanted in Indiana for questioning the disappearance of three girls. The disappearance of more people yes. now. And the girls vanished during the same period of the time that Speck was working on the Great Lakes freighter that was docked for repairs in an Indiana harbor. Michigan authorities were also interested in Richard Speck. 
four Benton Harbor, Michigan females, ages 7, 19, 37, and 60, had been murdered. Their freighter Speck was working on had been docked in Benton Harbor during the time of the murders. So all of this is alleged, but none of it has been proven with hard evidence yet? Correct. So he's dead. He's been long dead. Interesting as fuck. What do you think? Do you think he was... He's a prolific serial killer, for sure. Almost definitely. He's a bumbling fucking moron, and I wonder if that's why he didn't get caught. Because he's so fucking stupid that he just... He tricked the cops by being such an idiot that he just got away with it for so long. Yeah. Like, he had... There's no other fucking way. I don't understand how. I just don't. I don't understand how you get away with eight murders being that big of a fucking moron. Oh, most definitely. That just... It doesn't make any sense. So, that's Richard Speck. Yes. Like, very, that's, like, cut and dry. Like, we, we've we scratched the surface on a lot of stuff like that, but, yeah, that's fucking... I'm really excited for the next one. So, are we going to go in in, lot, in chronological order of your yeah. book? Yeah. What's the next one, just for uh, everybody? The murder at the Privicky home, Seth Privicky. Seth Privicky? I have no yep. idea who this is. I have no idea either, so we all learn together. I love it. I probably honestly will do some reading beforehand. I might even, like, I might take your book and read it if you're going to read it too. Sorry, I keep looking away from my mic while I try to talk. So if you're going to read that chapter, I want to read that chapter pre, pre-going pre too and then actually have some notes this time. There's one that I'm, like, super interested in that's kind of, like, more in the book, like, right. farther into the book. So we have to wait. But I'm going to say it anyways because I feel like people are going to be super interested in it also. Yeah. Okay, let me, let me find it real quick. I was going to say, if you're just going to start giving all the secrets away, just give some. Don't give them all. No, I I think this one is going to be super interesting. So what you're trying to do is get people on the hook. Yes. I see what you're doing. Yeah. So for this being our first episode of this, I guess you can call it mini, not a mini series, like a whole other branch of series that we're yeah. going to do. I didn't get to do any of my research prior to this I because you did. I also feel like I'm always terribly unprepared when I come into this, but we also just got this equipment today and threw it all together and decided what better time to make an opportunity, an opportunistic, an opportunistic episode for y'all's listening pleasure. Um, Detroit's murderous purple gang. Yeah, that is actually a really interesting topic. I talked with um, Danny about that while we were in Eden Springs and it was super fucking cool. I, I had no idea I that it was like that. Can't wait to read about dark. it. <laughs> it's dark. Is it? Yeah, like dude, darker per- than Richard Speck. No, I mean the Purple Gang is fucking brutal though. I'm super excited to read it. Well, you you know gangsters and mafia. Oh, like, most Al definitely. Al Capone lived in Chicago, yeah. and then he would come up you to Eden Springs. Al- you know what Al Capone is famous for, right? Killings. Basically, Drugs. just being one of the most like notorious mobsters of all time. Oh, and fun fact: he would come up to Eden Springs, uh, and Benton Parker, Benton Parker, <laughs> Benton Jeez Harbor, God. and park his car at their amphitheater, and then walk down to the casinos. Little fun fact for everybody. Yeah, check out Eden Springs. The place is awesome. Okay, so I think, uh, I think we did enough justice. Um, always remember for sure that. The victims are the more important ones here than the killers. And please, please be aware of your surroundings. I don't know if you are ever... Protect yourself. For real, protect yourself. Because I'm super into true crime, and it made me more aware of my surroundings, especially in like today's age where people yeah, just get kidnapped. I can agree with that. With like sex trafficking, and if you have smaller children, please It's more don't. prevalent than you know. Yeah, don't take your eyes off yourself or children or your loved ones. 
Love be annoying stuff. if you don't hear from your friends for a while because who knows anything can happen i don't know thanks for being a weirdo i love you guys yeah thanks for listening to us ramble we appreciate you so it'll much it'll get better i promise <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it was that bad but this has been what goes bump the night true crime edition I, we're gonna work on that <laughs> and i love you guys thank you for everything you can find us on literally every streaming platform at this point pandora iheart media Buy spotify merch. itunes yes we have a merch store if you go to the facebook page at what goes bump in the night you can find all the links if you go to what goes bump the night podcast at google you will find the link to the Podbeam, which has every link to everything that you could possibly want you can get there if you go on youtube and you type in what goes bump the night podcast yeah check out the youtube videos we we work uh, trevor and riley work so hard on those videos i I can't take very much credit i i just record it riley does a lot of the editing and i mean i was doing some editing but he has a very 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 great artistic touch for it and that man is brilliant so and again check out the dubby like if you want yeah if you want (laughs) to get some dubby use use code what goes bump i'm pretty sure that's what it is I'm 90% positive. I literally just bought a tub the other day, like last week. So, but this has been a lot of fun. I really can't wait to do this again. Yeah. Just expect to have this in your regular feeds as well as mine and Riley's regular episodes. And remember folks to keep your ears and eyes open for what really goes. Bump in the night. True crime edition. Woo. Woo. Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. I didn't really fart.